sacraments of communion. Sacraments, if you want to call them that, symbols, whatever. The, the symbol of communion. So we will partake together of the Lord's body and of the Lord's blood and be reminded of his death and resurrection together as we take that. And that is open to anyone. If you personally have a relationship with the Lord, you are welcome to partake of that. And if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, you can pray and ask him to start that today, and you would be welcome to take this with us as well. If you do do that, come talk to me, come talk to one of our elders, come talk to uh, one of our other pastors. Let us pray with you and get you on a track of discipleship, um, because what has happened in that moment is you, you have been reborn. If you've come into a relationship with Jesus, you've been reborn. You've been made new. And just like a little baby, you don't know much. And so we want to grow you up and so you become a mature believer in Jesus, a parent who's able to look after other kids and hopefully a grandparent who's able to look after whole communities. Okay, so if you do make a decision to follow Christ, please tell someone and help us get you on a track for discipleship. I'm going to pray now for our time of offering, for our time of fellowship, and we break for five minutes. That's intentional. We want you to get to know your neighbors and the people that you worship with, so use this time well. I I spoke with a a gal uh, this past week who had a really cool story that came out of our five-minute break where she was able to to meet and make a new friend, and there's some really cool stuff is happening there. So don't just sit in your seat. Don't just get a cup of coffee. You can do those things, but say hi to someone that you haven't met yet. Tell them, uh, Tell them one of the highs of your week, a way that you saw God at work in your life. Share some, share some of that gratitude together with one another. So I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll move into a time of fellowship together and uh, a generosity and offering. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for calling us, not alone. Thank you for calling us individually, yes, but also calling us into a family, a, a corporate body that we might be together, that that we might do the one another's of Scripture together. And, Father, when we can't sing of your goodness, we can come alongside other brothers and sisters who can hold up our, our shoulders, who can lift us up and sing it for us. I praise you for that. I pray that this place would increasingly become a place of Christian friendship and Christian unity where we set aside our preferences and our opinions and we, we commit to look to King Jesus and make our lives uh, move around the centrality of King Jesus, that we would put him at the center of all of all that we do and that we would worship him not just through song here in this building, but that we would move out from this place further equipped and further energized to take your kingdom wherever we set our foot. Lord Jesus, you've placed your spirit inside of us and your spirit is here now because you've said wherever two or more are gathered, you are there. But Father, you've also put your spirit inside of us. And so we take your kingdom, we take your spirit into our workplace, into our neighborhoods, and you've called us ambassadors. And so I pray that this would be a time of, of equipping, of encouraging as you send us out into the darkness to be light. I pray that you would do this for your glory. And Father, as, as men and women see that, that everything that they have belongs to you, I pray that, that you would compel them, Lord, that you would um, move them to take what you've given and to invest it into your kingdom through the offering here, through opportunities to serve locally and use their time different ways. And I pray that you would take what is stewarded well and, and, and given back to you and that you would multiply it for the use in your kingdom to make much of Jesus, to help the lost get found and the found live free. We pray all of this now in your name, for your glory and our joy. Amen. At this time, if you are in second grade or younger, you can meet one of the teachers back here. We'll get you to your class. We'll break for five minutes and then what?
Well, good morning. Welcome. Uh, one quick uh, correction. The screen for the, uh, the uh, cookout tonight said uh, 6 o'clock. The bulletin says 5 o'clock. The bulletin is correct. Uh, if you show up at 6 o'clock, even your favorite uh, type of pie might be already spoken for. So anybody that wants to come, and just a reminder, you don't have to be 50. You just have to be cool with hanging out with 50-plus-year-old people, which is uh, actually a lot of fun. So, hey, um, this morning we are going to look at a, a pretty singular truth. Uh, it's a simple truth from Scripture, but it is a, a very powerful truth. And uh, as Levi mentioned, uh, we were at, uh, at some conference meetings this uh, last uh, week, and uh, one of the speakers said that sometimes the most important truth that we need to learn, we already know. It's just that sometimes those truths are covered over with familiarity. We know these things so much that we kind of forget about them. And uh, I kind of think what we're going to see in Psalm uh, 37 is kind of fits into that category. So I pray that we'll all have our, our ears and our hearts open to hearing uh, what God might not want to necessarily tell you as a new truth, but remind you and give you a fresh perspective on a, on a very, very important truth. Before we get to that, a very, very quick public service announcement. Last Sunday, uh, I was standing at the back door and had the privilege of meeting a gentleman that uh, came through the door that said it had been 10 years since he had attended a worship service. And I don't know if he's back this morning or not. I hope that he is. Uh, but we welcomed him. Glad that he was here. Uh, on my way back, I was driving a gentleman home, and uh, he shared with me that that was the very first worship service that he had ever been to in his entire life last week here at Crossroads. And he was a gentleman about my age. Super, super encouraging to, to hear those stories. Uh, if you are, are here and uh, coming to church is, is not a normal thing for you, I want you to know that you are welcome at Crossroads Church. We're glad that you're here. We often say that we are not a perfect church. So if there are a, a handful of things in your life that are not what it ought to be, or if your life is a complete train wreck, no matter what the situation we are glad that you're here. This is not a country club. Um, if you are here and you are interested in either coming to know Jesus Christ and what it means to center your life on him, uh, if you have already come to know that goodness but you want to grow in that relationship, there is a place here for you. And uh, for those of you that are a regular part of Crossroads, I just as one of your pastors want to say thank you for creating an atmosphere where people feel accepted and feel welcome. It is vitally, vitally important. And as we grow, it's going to be even more important to step out of our comfort zone. And when we see someone that we don't know, just introduce yourself. Say, hey, you maybe have been coming here longer than I have, but we haven't met yet. Uh, extend uh, just a, a warm hand of welcome to individuals. Thank you for doing that. Okay, this morning again, we're going to look at Psalm 37. So if you have a, a hard copy of the Bible, or you've got a phone or a digital device, go ahead and turn to Psalm 37. It will be on the screen, but there really is something uh, important about having a copy of God's Word out in front of you to be able to highlight things, to underline things, to make sure whether it's any of the pastors here or whoever you're hearing teach God's Word, to make sure that it's actually uh, being taught in an accurate kind of a way. So if you would, grab that out. Um, at Crossroads, we absolutely believe that the Bible is God's Word. 
Uh, God literally speaks to us today through his word. What an uh, amazing and powerful truth. Uh, Awesome to think about. Uh, This uh, past couple of weeks, I've had the opportunity to be in Psalm 37 quite a bit. And uh, I'm telling you that uh, if you really grab the the truth uh, that's being taught, it will encourage your heart this morning. Psalm 37 was written by uh, King David. He's written a lot of the psalms that we've looked at this, uh, this summer, not all of them. But in verse 25, uh, King David actually says that he wrote Psalm 37 towards the end of his life. David uh, died when he was 70 years old, and uh, we don't know exactly what age he was, but it says in, in, uh, uh, in verse 25, I was young and now I am old. And so he's writing. And uh, in the, the Psalms, we're going to see again a couple of emotions that we can deal with that um, uh, have to do with how we uh, handle living in a world that really in many ways is dominated by evil. And uh, the Bible, when it talks about evil, is talking about absolutely anything that morally goes against God's perfect, holy uh, character and nature. So um, when we think of things like murder, murder is evil. Physically or emotionally um, hurting, abusing another individual is evil. Stealing would be considered evil. Slander is evil. When we think of evil, sometimes we think of these major, major things, but evil is literally anything that is contrary to God's holy character. Um, Taking advantage of another person is evil. And uh, if you look around, I think you would agree that you don't have to look very far to see evil people doing evil things in our world. Not sure if you've seen it or not, but the, the movie Sound of Freedom is bringing some uh, much-needed and important attention uh, to the evil of human trafficking. And uh, every time you turn on the news, literally, whatever cycle you see, there are more and more stories about evil that takes place in our world. Stories about crime, about violence, about prejudice and discrimination, Political corruption and greed, these stories are literally everywhere. It seems like everywhere we turn. Beyond just being in the media and out in our world, the impact of evil is very personal to each and every one of us. Um, We've all been the victim of either an evil behavior, uh, of evil speech, or evil attitudes in one form or another. And church, sadly, we've also been the perpetrators, either in our behavior, in our speech, or in our attitude of evil in one form or another. This morning in Psalm 37, we're going to take a look at a couple of the emotions again that we can deal with when it comes to evil. And and actually, both of these emotions are emotions that we can respond to evil in such a way that it causes us to actually lose our joy and our peace in the Lord. David, again, is a wise old sage at this point in time, and he's going to put his arm around our shoulders, and he's going to help us learn how to navigate our life in a world that is full of evil. So there are actually 40 verses in Psalm 37, but in the first 11 verses, 
we will get the, uh, the, the primary point that David is making, and, uh, and the rest of the, the chapter, it just continues to, to repeat and, and uh, reaffirm that theme. And I would encourage you at a, at a later date to, to look at the rest of Psalm 137, but we're going to look at the first 11 verses, and uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and look at it and, and follow along as I read uh, from Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11. David writes, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Verse 7 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn to wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity." Now, to be sure, there is so much in those 11 verses, we will not cover everything that there is to cover. So again, I would really encourage you to take a little bit of a deep dive yourself and, and spend a little more time in Psalm 37. This morning, I want to do my very best not to complicate what I believe is a very clear and simple truth that King David, Israel's most celebrated king, is trying to communicate. King David wrote this psalm in part to encourage his own son Solomon, who would soon be king over Israel. He wrote this psalm to encourage the people of Israel that were alive at that time, the people that he ruled over. Many of those individuals were very, very familiar with what it felt like to live in a world filled with evil and injustice. He wrote to encourage God's people of the future as well. In its history, the city of Jerusalem, like the holy capital of God's people, is said to have been attacked 52 times. It's been captured and recaptured 44 times throughout history. It's been besieged 23 times and twice that city has been totally destroyed. Over the years, God's people have understood what it's like to be on the other side of evil and injustice firsthand. And because God's word is for God's people of all time, King David wrote these words and they were preserved so that they would provide encouragement for you and I today as well. And I'm aware that while all of us at some point in time will go through seasons of life where the impact of evil 
impacts us in kind of a fresh way. There are some of you that are here today and others who are a part of our Crossroads Church family that are not here today who are right in the middle of a life circumstance where the evil in this world has impacted your life in a very significant way. I want to really encourage you to hang with me this morning and and leave here with the truth that King David provides firmly in both hands. This morning, we're going to work our way through these 11 um, verses in Psalm 37 in three distinct segments. The first segment, we're going to look at the first two verses, and, and David's just going to give us the big idea for the entire psalm. And then secondly, in verses 3 through 8, David is going to go on and give us some very practical steps for how do you and I live in a world that's filled with evil and injustice. And then finally, uh, in verses 9 through 11, David is going to share the reason that you and I can live in a world of evil and yet still have hope and encouragement and peace and confidence. He's going to really restate that one more time. I want you to know we're going to move fairly quickly because this is really a very simple text. And as Levi mentioned, we're also going to have the opportunity to celebrate communion at the end of our service, and we want to have plenty of time for that. And uh, if you've never celebrated communion here at Crossroads, I want you to know that I'm going to give some uh, pretty simple instructions if you decide that you would like to participate. So let's get started. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. David says that that the big idea for the entire psalm, he says it right up front in verses 1 and 2. He says, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. When evil or injustice comes our way, there is truly a human tendency to be afraid. Fear is the first of the two emotions that uh, King King David mentions. And I want to be clear that it is not necessarily wrong to be afraid. At times, fear is literally a God-given emotion meant to allow us protection. There are times when it's natural and it's even a good thing to be afraid. It's not a good thing to allow fear to control our lives. So King David, a seasoned, seasoned leader, very familiar with what it's like to live in an evil world, says, do not fret, do not be afraid because of those who are evil. And in just a minute, we're going to see why that is. David goes on to say, and do not be envious of those who do wrong. Envy is the second emotion that uh, David is addressing here in response to evil. And it may seem kind of strange. Why does he say that we should not be envious or jealous of those who do wrong? Why, Why would we anyway? Well, truthfully, I think David is wise enough to understand how easy it is for flawed human beings to forget about what we have and actually envy other people. Our world actually makes evil things, sinful things, seem like nothing but a lot of fun. Sometimes doing the wrong thing becomes prosperous here in our country. 
And when doing the wrong thing becomes prosperous, sometimes it's pretty easy to think that there must be something right with it. It's amazing to me, and maybe to you as well, how easy it is for us to look at things that are pretty clear in the Bible or absolutely clear in the Bible and start to think that they are somewhat fuzzy. It's not hard at times to be envious of people who seem, on the outside at least, to have everything that we're said to want to have because they bend the corners or fudge the rules here and there, especially when you're doing everything you can to be obedient to God in your life. So David says, don't be envious of evildoers. Right at the the start of Psalm 37, again, he says, we don't need to fear And we don't need to be envious. And why is that? David says, because they will soon be gone. David says, like the grass that will soon wither, like green plants, they will soon die away. He's speaking of evil and evil doers. This is a word picture that actually works pretty good for some of us. I don't know about you, but I can kill a green houseplant in a week's time. But but if you're, you're more of a green thumb, you recognize that even grass that we plant and that we water, even in one season, it will eventually die. So David is making the point that evil in and of itself is not eternal. It will not last forever. You and I were born into a world that was broken with sin, and we know nothing but a world that is impacted by evil. It's everywhere we look. However, just like the grass that in literally a single season will die and go away, evil people will one day die and go away. They will be cut off and do evil no more. So church, when you look at the evening news and watch literally the atrocities of evil things that are done by evil doers, when you are tempted to question why life seems so hard for you, but people who are doing all kinds of evil seem to have life better and easier than you, David says evil is only temporary. All of Psalm 37 repeats that same theme over and over and over again. I would encourage you on days where you feel saddened, when you feel grief because of the evil in our world, uh, grab Psalm 37 and be reminded again, it will not last forever. Evil and evildoers are not permanent. King David starts Psalm 37 by reminding us of this. When we see evil and injustice in our personal lives, when we see it in the world, we we need to remember that it won't last forever. I'm glad that King David says that, but I'm glad that that's not all he says as well. I'm so thankful that he gives us some specific ways that you and I can respond to evil in our world. 
We're going to move very quickly, and I'm going to mention the ones that he mentions. And again, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time with any one of them. But I would encourage you to, to think deeply about some of these things this next week. So four practical steps when faced with evil and injustice. The first one is this. David says, trust in the Lord and do good. Look at verse 3 again. David says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Now, now to be sure, this is not just simple blind faith, but it is an attitude. It's a mindset that says God has proven himself Time and time again, in my life and in the lives of other people, he knows much better than I what's going on in our world. He sees the beginning and the middle and the end of all circumstances. He is all wise, he is all powerful, and he is in control. Therefore, I can put my trust in him. A church, I understand that is not an easy thing to do, especially when things in our life seem to go off the rails, when they go in a direction different than what we had hoped or planned for our life. And I realize that some of you are living in that exact circumstance right now. Um, we have this idea at times that when bad things happen in our lives, that God is somehow asleep at the wheel. I want to remind you that that is absolutely not true because God never, ever takes a break from being actively involved in our lives. Notice also that, that David is not just talking about a passive trust. David says, trust in the Lord and do good. You see, good works in and through, God does good works in and through his people. Faith and works actually go, go together. The Bible talks about that in a lot of different places. So look at the Apostle Paul's instructions in Romans chapter 12. It's going to be on the screen here. Verses 17 through 21. His instructions to people that were specifically confronted with evil. Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right. We saw that in Psalm 37. Do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will replay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And look at verse 21 again, another repeat from Psalm 37. Do not overcome, uh, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. I don't have the time to flesh that out this morning like I'd like to. I probably should have built this entire message around just that statement. But I want to ask us all to consider this question. What are we doing daily to overcome evil with good? What are you and I doing daily, intentionally, purposefully 
to overcome evil with good. You know, that might look like something as very specific as getting involved in the human trafficking issue in one way or another. It might look like intentionally investing in a relationship with somebody so that one day you'll have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. That might look like showing patience and kindness to someone who has been extremely rude to you. Doing good can take literally countless forms, but what are you and I personally doing in our workplace, in our surrounding community, in our school, on our teams, in our clubs, in our home to overcome evil with good. Give that some thought. Church, one day the goodness of God will once and for all triumph over all evil. Until that day comes, Until that day comes, we are called to do our part to overcome evil by doing good. That can be big things, and that can be really small things. Next, when evil knocks at our door, King David says that we are to delight in the Lord. Look at verse 4. It says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Evil circumstances, simply put, have a way of messing up our plans for our happiness, don't they? It's just amazing how how that happens. David reminds us that true joy, true satisfaction in life are found in God himself. Delighting in the Lord involves looking to our relationship with Jesus for our deepest sense of satisfaction and contentment. God and not the gifts he gives is the true source of joy that we're looking for. As we align our hearts with the heart of God, what we find out is that what he ultimately desires for us as individuals is what we will begin to desire as well. It's a challenging word, but give that some thought. King David provides a third step that we can take when evil comes our way. He says, commit your way to the Lord. In verse 5 and 6, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Now, committing our, our way to the Lord in translation, really has something to do with giving the burdens of living in an evil world, the consequences that we experience because we live in a broken world, giving those over to the Lord himself. Um, That's really the, the flavor there. Every person who has ever been mocked, Every person, because of their faith in Jesus, who has ever been abused or made fun of or persecuted, David says, will one day be vindicated. So what does that mean? It means that God will bring a judgment that will set the scales right. One day, God will bring a judgment that will set the scales right. 
Take a look at Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. This is very familiar to, to most of you. It says, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, life is hard. There are days when you and I feel like we're in a boxing ring with Mike Tyson just getting pummeled by the evil and the brokenness in our world. King David has himself been there. Uh, Many people believe that he ran for his very life from Saul for 10 to 14 years. 10 to 14 years of fleeing Saul and the evil plans that he had to to really take David's life. Keep your eye focused on the eternal future that we have been promised. A time is coming when evil will be no more. There's a day of rest coming that lasts for eternity. Speaking of rest, David has one final step in responding to the evil that exists here on earth. And it says this, rest in the Lord. In verse 7, David says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And do not fret, there's the don't fear thing again. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Instead, refrain from evil And turn from wrath. Do not fret. There's the third time. It leads only to evil. Now, now King David is not talking about a physical rest that involves not doing anything to, to help our circumstances or our situation. Rest in the Lord refers to a spiritual rest from confusion. A rest from worry. A rest from stress. Essentially, David invites us to release our circumstances to the Lord and rest in God's sovereignty and control of absolutely every single thing that ultimately enters into our lives. So, after we put our trust in God, after we do whatever good that we can do amidst the evil in our world, after we refocus finding our joy and our relationship with the Lord rather than in other places, after we turn our burdens over to him, it's time to find rest in the arms of a God who loves us deeply, even when we don't always perceive that or understand it. Friend, if there is anything in your life right now that is weighing your heart down or crushing your soul, you are invited to regularly hand it over to the Lord and then to wait patiently for him to move. As I say that, I know that sounds like a simple cliche or something that a pastor is supposed to say to people on a Sunday morning. I understand that it is difficult to do that. But when we have done everything we can in a situation, uh, we really are invited to, to release the rest of it 
to the Lord and then to find supernatural rest. Many of you can testify to what I'm talking about right now. Finally, David, at the end here in this third segment that we move into, points us back to the main truth that he wants us to take away from Psalm 37. It's the truth that allows us to rest in the Lord and hopefully find encouragement even today. Take another look at verses 9 and 10. David says, For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Church, we live in a world that is marked by sin and evil. I don't need to tell you that. Some of the evil in our world is really incredibly obvious. We live in a culture that absolutely celebrates and embraces some of the things that the Bible just says are sinful and evil. Some of the evil in our world is very, very subtle, but in one way or another, each and every one of us lives daily impacted by being in an evil world. And in verses 9 and 10 and throughout the rest of the 40 verses in Psalm 37, King David states that there is a day coming where evil, all evil, will be destroyed. It says, in a little while, the wicked will be no more. I don't know too many people who like to wait. I certainly do not like to wait. Patience is not my strong suit. Waiting is hard. I was reminded this week, however, that the kind of waiting that we're doing for that day when evil will be no more is not like waiting for a root canal at the dentist's office, okay? Some of you have been there. I've been there. It's not that kind of waiting at all. Waiting on the Lord to take care of evil, to vindicate his people, is like waiting for your approaching wedding day. Waiting for the Lord is like waiting for the arrival of a dear, dear friend. Waiting for the Lord is like waiting for opening day of deer season. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Waiting for the Lord is like waiting for your favorite holiday or waiting for a planned vacation. Waiting for something that will bless and encourage your heart like nothing else will. Church, hear me now. When the Lord returns, all evil will be destroyed and the wicked will be no more. We will begin to experience an eternal rest from all the effects of evil out there and evil in here. The Lord's return may or may not come in our lifetime. We've got a lot of people saying that it's going to be, and it might. But it may or may not be. It might be a thousand years away. It may come this week. The Lord's glorious awaited return might come tonight at the cookout. So get there at 5 (laughs) o'clock. See how I did that, Levi? Circle back around there. 
Whenever it comes, Lord, it is going to be glorious and wonderful, and we will be forever freed of the impact of evil. David's goal in writing Psalm 37 is to remind us that God is not only the creator of the universe, but he is still absolutely in control of this evil world that we live in, and he's in control of the time that he will come one day to end it. We don't need to fear evil or evil people. As the church, as this thing unravels over the course of the next however long, uh, we need to find our hope and our strength and our peace in the Lord and, and act as that. We don't want to run around with like chickens with our heads cut off. Um, we also don't need to be envious of people that we look out doing the world thing and in some ways look like they got it better than we do. We just don't need to, to worry about that. All of that is extremely, extremely temporary. God is aware of the injustices of our world. He cares about how evil impacts our daily lives. One day, all evil will cease and never, ever return. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. An end to our internal battle and struggle with sin. An end to the effects of evil in this world. Rest from it all. One day, it is going to happen. The band can come back on up, and I want to pray for us and then kind of transition us into communion and, and give you some instructions. Let, let's pray first. Lord, we don't need to tell you that life here on earth is, is hard and it's painful and it's difficult. Uh, Lord, when you, you were here, you literally took upon flesh you understand better, way better than any of us what it means to be mocked and to be made fun of, to be criticized, to, to be harmed, to, uh, to even be brutally um, killed on a cross, undeservingly so. Um, Lord, there was no evil in you, and yet you endured the consequences of evil. And Lord, um, we, we take comfort in that, knowing that you know how hard it is here. And Lord, I pray not only for every single person that's here, but especially for people that are here that are um, literally day by day experiencing in a very tangible, real way the effects of evil. And uh, Lord, I pray for us that you would encourage our hearts, uh, that you would remind us of this truth, that... Um, for, for whatever reason, you have given the evil one the opportunity to have some power and influence in this world. Uh, the plan did not fail. The plan did not go off the rails. This has been, for some reason, a part of your plan all along. And one day, Lord, uh, by faith, we believe and we trust that we're going to get to see it come to its glorious end. And uh, Lord, may we, um, as we wait for that day, may you give us ideas uh, inspiration, the courage, the wisdom, the strength to do everything that we can to overcome the evil in our world with uh, goodness, Lord. I thank you for the people of Crossroads Church who have a heart for others, uh, have a heart for the, the spiritually lost, have a heart for people in need, Lord. And would you continue to give us the opportunities to, to serve you as we uh, love and care for, for one another? Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your love, and for your patience, and for the hope that comes that one day 
the evil and the, the things that we experience, we won't experience anymore. And that uh, if we know you in a personal way, Lord, if we've given our lives to you, responded to your gracious gift of salvation, uh, that, uh, that we will never experience that again. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we've talked about the day that uh, evil will come to an end and be no more. And we've acknowledged the fact that evil is not only out in the world, but it's actually in our hearts as well. And I'm so thankful that uh, God had a plan for that. He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come to this world and to live a perfectly sinless life so that he could be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Uh, He went to the cross. He was killed and crucified and buried and three days later he rose victorious over the grave and by putting our trust and our faith and our hope in him uh, we know that the evil inside of us is taken care of the the sin that we've committed that's offensive to a holy god was completely paid for and so uh, here at crossroads we don't believe that communion is some religious act that we do Uh, We believe that it's a a time of remembrance of what Jesus did on our behalf. We believe that it's a time of even celebration. It's a time of reflection. Scripture says that there's times even to say, you know, uh, I think there's some things in my heart that that I need to deal with before the Lord or maybe go and make something right for between myself and someone else before I take communion. Um, But uh, if you are here today and you've placed your hope and faith in Jesus, you are free to, to celebrate and take communion. Uh, we typically will have folks either come through the center aisles and take the two elements, the juice and the bread, and then go out the outside aisles and return to your seats. There are also two tables in the very back, however you want to do it, but it kind of works well if we have a little bit of a traffic flow. Do not feel like you need to get up when everybody else in your row gets up. This can be kind of a personal thing. You can take some time and pray and then come up when you want. Uh, You do not need to come up at all. That's perfectly fine too, and nobody will think anything of it. But uh, if you are here today and you want to to remember the sacrifice that Christ made on your behalf, I'm going to read a little scripture, and then you're free to, to come. If you're here and you need some assistance getting some elements, just wave your hand and get someone's attention and someone will bring uh, elements to you as well. So let me read a little scripture here from 1 Corinthians. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your undeserved grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your undeserved love that would motivate you to become our sin on the cross. As we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do remember and we give thanks for what you did to redeem us. May you be honored and glorified in our lives. Holy Spirit, we invite you to change us from the inside out and to help us to look more like you each and every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come as you feel led.